I love this one line in this paper too. They sneak it in here. They say, economic history is littered with attempts at private money that failed, leading to losses for investors and the real economy. Now, if you look at a IMF study, 1970 to 2007, so very much in the central bank era of money, uh, there has been currency crises in 208 countries and bank crises in 124 countries, national debt crises in 63 countries over that 30-year period. Every single one of them was issued by central banks, 208 countries with currency crises. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Arcos Global Advisors or its advisors. The mention of different asset types or securities do not constitute a recommendation for our clients. If you have any questions about the content of this podcast, please contact your advisor. In this episode of Navigating Bitcoin's Noise, I'm joined by Sam Callahan, who is an analyst at Swan Bitcoin. In our conversation, we discussed the Bank for International Settlements' recent paper, The Future Monetary System. Sam shares his deep central banking knowledge as we dive deeper into their views on central bank digital coins, digital money, and the role they believe central banks should play in the build-out of the crypto ecosystem. The paper contends that crypto markets are inadequate and unsafe because Bitcoin and crypto is not managed at the central bank level. Sam and I offer counters to these points, while also acknowledging that in the era of central banking, we've witnessed 208 currency crises. If you're looking to better understand Bitcoin's past and its future potential as an economic network, then join us and listen in. Yeah, and if you look at, uh, you know, Bitcoin in 2017 had a large run-up and there was congestion there. And then they upgraded and there was things like SegWit and there was things like transaction batching and it, and and then which yes and it kind of led to lightning and then you come to uh the run-up in 20 2021 and the fees did not spike like in 2017 so to me that was like a sign bitcoin scaling like mm-hmm. we literally had all this uh you know transaction volume that in 2017 it would have caused congestion and high fees and now we had more volume in 2020 and 2021 and the fees did not spike up. So I think that um, people just haven't really wrapped their heads around the fact that this is like an ever improving protocol. And um, I, th- I believe that it'll just continue to get more efficient and, and more secure and as uh, you know, technology and these brilliant developers do their thing. Andreas Antonopoulos, he was very early on that in 2014, 15. A lot of talks, uh, a couple of books a little bit later, but a lot of talks on that. And he was, you know, just an early child of the 80s internet when you had those scaling issues. And every day it was like, you know, on the forums, oh, the internet's going to crash. We only got 100 million people. What happens when the next 400? This thing's, you know, a dumb protocol that won't be able to support anything. And, and, you know, here we are 30 uh, or 40 years later, and you can't do anything without the internet. And so Bitcoin, you know, he always called it a dumb, you know, dumb protocol, dumb money. It's the same thing. It's intentionally, you know, has scaling limitations because it forces humans to do what they're supposed to do, which is figure out better ways to scale. And um, I think part of the point of this paper was it's almost like uh, the BIS just figured out what bitcoin and the value of of digital money is and they're like oh we got to go hurry and build a better one right 
<laughs> the threats there, yeah. Yeah, and like, I'm just kind of like looking at this. Like, they also just talk about the hacks, right? That occurred yeah. in cryptocurrency as a way to like promote their own, you know, central bank digital currency. And um, again, Bit Bitcoin's never been hacked. There's okay. been over $2 billion worth of hacks in every other cryptocurrencies, but Bitcoin has never been hacked. So it's, it's again, it, I think it's disingenuous. Um, I, think, I think there's a lot of disingenuous uh, narratives in this paper. Uh, uh, extremely. One specifically is not hacked, but when they talk about in the section where we talk about safety and stability and accountable, um, that money needs to be those things. And, and they said, uh, where a monetary system relies on key nodes or entities. Well, first off, we talk about banks. So they just use the word node and entity because that's what you yeah. know, Bitcoin and crypto guys use. Yeah, whether banks are a node now. Yeah. Whether public or private, they need to be accountable. Okay. That's cool. So that's what Bitcoin brought accountability through specific mandates for public authorities. And through proper regulation and supervision for private entities. Okay, so I'll just go on record and say that most of the criminal, fraudulent, terroristic activity flows through the major global banks. I mean, HSBC littered with litigations, Goldman Sachs, the MDB1, many other, JP Morgan. I think Dan Moorhead of Pantera put out the other day, um, yeah. one of the recent years, it was $321 billion dollars. Since of the GFC. fines, yeah, since the GFC of fines to the traditional banking system. So obviously, there's no supervision of for private entities there. There's no regulation. So how about we put it on a network where somebody can regulate it? Yeah, exactly. It, it goes back to like they're just discount. They think the, the people love banks, central banks, right now. When when they like look at all the fines that the uh, commercial banks have had since global financial crisis, I think Dan Moorhead had a great point. He said like uh, the World Bank or somebody or the UN says that they need six billion dollars to solve world hunger. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. The banks have been fined three hundred twenty-one billion. Yeah, since so he said he said you know. there's uh, it was eighty-four countries and every person in those eighty-four countries could have been given one year's salary with that 320 billion dollars this i love this one line in this paper too they they sneak it in here just they say economic history is littered with attempts at private money that failed leading to losses for investors and the real economy and it's kind of i got to know and it's thrown in there now if you look at a imf study uh, over the last uh, you know 1970 to 2007, so very much in the central bank era of money, uh, there has been currency crises in 208 countries, and bank crises in 124 countries, national debt crises in 63 countries over that 30-year period. Every single one of them was issued by central banks, 208 countries with currency crises. And so you know, for them to throw that out, it's just like literally uh, an attack on Bitcoin because that's the only actual like private money of these digital assets. And, mm -hmm. oh, I guess you could say private stable coins, but I, in the way that they're referring to right now, you know, I would actually call Bitcoin a very public money because it's completely transparent. Um, yes. Yeah, but like the way that they're framing it right now, it's, it's like a complete rewriting of history considering the last you know, the crises that we've experienced under the central bank regime of money. And mm -hmm. here they are trying to design it in, in, in a 
their own system that puts them again at the center and more powerful than ever. And uh, it's just, it's nonsense. It's, it's really, it's really crazy. And a great point on that is, and I think they're also referring to the wildcat banking period. Um, yeah. But, but yep. when you, when you come in and you say you can't do that anymore, do we really know if they would all fail? Cause they probably all failed because you said you can't do that anymore. And, and some of them did fail, obviously. Um, but we do know in the period you talked about, the last 50 years when the dollar went off fiat standard, there's 200 or 100 plus instances of failure. How about we run for 50 years on private money or public yeah, money like Bitcoin and just see, like, do we get 200? Can't get much worse. Do we get 50? Do we get 400? Like, let, let's see. And now understanding um, these conversions don't happen overnight. Uh, there are some people, you know, most people will be fine with a CBDC. I don't agree with it, but, you know, for the average person, if they can go on vacation, walk their dog, eat, yada, 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 and just participate, they're going to be fine. So they're not going to do cold storage and all the, you know, 16 hoops to go buy a candy bar. But the innovative component of that will also probably get better if we just let money run and, and see what happens. Yeah, I would think the free market, just like how a lot of people think it's great for most things, um, most ec economic activities and business activities, I think the same thing should be done with money. And that's, you know, I think I would love if it was just a open, competitive environment, because I think Bitcoin would win out on its properties. Uh, mm -hmm. But we, we don't live in a, you know, free market. We live in a very controlled, centralized uh, by these central banks. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's it's interesting uh, too. They they kind of uh, another reason they kind of uh, critique uh, the current cryptocurrency industry is stable coins and how you know you can't peg. Uh, you know they fail these pegs all the time. It doesn't work. But again, they need, they should probably look in the mirror because if you look at uh, the history of all currency pegs from you know issued by central banks and run by central banks. They all fail. There's, there's literally countless examples of currency pegs breaking. Uh, just look at Thailand in, in 1998, like the Thai bot. Um, look at uh, Mexico in 1995. Like you just really go down the list. And so again, it's, it's like uh, not being honest about their own track record uh, when they look critically at this industry. And it, it just kind of rubs me the wrong way. In stable coins, I think, is the part of the market. Look, it's not Bitcoin. It's going to stay in some form or fashion. It does bridge the dollar network to the crypto network and then the Bitcoin network. And there are some benefits. Um, I agree. That transitional period. Look, it just, you can't get money easily back and forth um, with, without them. You can't trade. Trading FX pairs is tough because you don't know where you bought something. You don't know where you sold it. Uh, but when you can go to a dollar where you're like, oh, it's $10,000 and then back in. So it makes the accounting of it easier. But to your point, so I think stable coins effectively are Euro dollars 2.0. Um, yeah, I think that's a good way to think about it. We just haven't adopted them. But to your point, they say, and they're talking about stable coins. And I'll just read this. Sorry, I keep reading these things, but it's, yeah, it. it's hard to put it. Um, but they benefit neither from regulatory requirements and protections of bank deposits and e-money, nor from the central bank as a lender of last resort. In addition, they tie up liquidity and can fragment the monetary system, thus undermining the singleness of the currency. 
okay, cool. But in this central bank driven world that we live, why have you allowed that to go on since 1954 through today with Euro dollars? Because they do the exact same thing, except they allow for a ton of leverage and yeah, it's out there. It's, it's a shadow dollar market that there's just all risk and leverage. I think that they allow it because they actually Profit. don't even understand it. Too. Yeah. Well, but they, <laughs> like they create. Like Euro, yeah, it doesn't it, seem like anybody actually knows the intricacies of the euro dollar market. Even the people supposed to be regulating it. But but what uh, but I agree, does, I agree completely. And I think to that point, it allows them and the entities which they oversee to create spreads to create profit off individuals in the market. Whereas stable coins, whatever profit is created from those spreads, guess who it's going to? The developers yeah. of that token is not going to the central bank. So it's, it's yeah, the whole power. It's, it's, it's the power right. play. It eats into their, their profit. Yeah. And actually that's something that people don't understand is that the biz is a business. They have, uh, you know, profits and stuff, which is, I, I just, think, I don't think people understand that. But when I think about stable coins, um, I think that's a great analogy to like the euro dollar market. And they're worried because of something called cryptoization, where it's the open and permissionless nature of this technology. Um, say you're somebody in Lebanon, I'm just throwing it out there, and you're literally, your currency is collapsing. And there, the biz is concerned because, like they said, it, it makes it difficult when there's an escape valve to implement monetary policy at a local level. Now, and it, and it, uh, you know, puts their credibility in jeopardy because these people can save in another fiat currency that's relatively more stable, right? They want access to dollars. And you have to ask the question of these people whose currencies and savings are literally collapsing before their eyes. Um, should they be cut off from these uh, life rafts? Should they, should they be subjected to these failures of central banks who have failed at their mission? And um, I think it's I think it's terrible. I think they should be able to get into a life raft, even though that life raft is has actually the same risks as any of these fiat currencies. They're just relatively more stable. Um, I, I picture like a life raft with holes in it. If I'm drowning and my currency is failing and I'm drowning, I would rather get into a life raft with some holes in it than no life raft at all. It, it buys that's you what, time. Yeah, it buys you time. Um, and and it's like the biz wants to you know take the life raft away take any life raft away um and and i have a problem with that you know from a human rights standpoint i have a, yeah. I have a problem with that i i absolutely agree and i think that's why when i read it i just got very frustrated because they say scalability stability um you know non-oppressive remove the injustices and the inequality and and you're like man but all do they really that, care? Like you've yeah. created that. So why do you care today when you didn't care for 50 years? And when you reissue this new digital money, that's going to give you those same privileges back to your point earlier, like who, who should trust you? Yeah, that's, I, it's, again, it's this idea where look around the world. Does it feel stable? You know, their, their job stability. I mean, they're, they're failing miserably yeah. at it because I mean, things are just out of control right now with the financial mm -hmm. And the amount of debt that they brought into the system, the leverage that you mentioned before, and 
and the currency depreciations that I mentioned before, it's it's not stable right now. Mm-hmm. And they're they're writing this paper acting like, oh, well, you know, this stuff's not gonna be stable. Honestly, it's, you know, I would rather have my money in a stable coin if I'm in any of these emerging markets where you know, uh, these currencies are falling rapidly. It's it's not even it's well, a look at no it this brainer, way. no brainer. You lose 60% over a six month period. Okay, that's terrible. But if you're losing 20, 30, 50% a week, you're better off losing 60 over six months. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, they, they, that goes back to the point where they talk about private money and how it can't be stable, like central bank money and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's not what it feels like on the ground to these people. Uh, the private stable coins, they feel pretty dang stable compared to the central bank issued currencies that are failing before their eyes. And one last point on the, you know, better money um, and, and the fairness, you know, I don't like to use the word fair, but the equality, money with equality and all that, that Jimmy song. And I did one of my first podcasts, uh, he wrote a book, thank God for Bitcoin. And if you look in the Bible it talks about money a ton, it's money in the Bible. It talks about, you know, essentially the principles and values that go along with it. And in my view, um, when we look at all these options for digital currencies to use as money or, or technology around money, um, CBDCs have, you know, the principles and values of the world, which have the evil and and all the the you know greed and and stuff baked in, and the principles and values. If you look at kind of the Bitcoin and the BIP process and and everything that goes in the code and the laws and the principles that are baked in or more like what the Bible says we should do with money. They're strict, they're stringent. They, they, you know, you can still put greed and stuff in, but not in the way that money is run by humans and subjective nature of humans inside of central banks. Like that's just kind of where my sticking point is um, given all that that's going on. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a great point, man. Like I agree completely. I don't know if I have much to add to that, but yeah. um, you know, well, if we could just pivot a little bit to my, my favorite part of this yeah, paper. Let's do it. My favorite part of this paper was when they come across the double spend problem that Bitcoin <laughs> solves. <laughs> and they'd say, well, it's kind of a problem. We don't know how to, you know, do this in this system. What we could do is have a central bank notary, <laughs> which is <laughs> oh, yeah, the notary. A third party. They're like, we'll have a central bank notary that can verify that, you know, you didn't spend something you didn't have. And I'm like, are you guys nuts? And they yeah. talk about how, um, you know, we're going to be decentralized because we're going to do this on a DLT platform, a distributed ledger technology platform. And right. it's like, they think that if you could put a buzzword like that, and if you just like use the platform, that it's automatically decentralized, even which though you're doing- Which is a permissioned blockchain. Which is a permissioned blockchain with a notary, AKA a third party intermediary, yeah. um, doing the exact, so there's nothing innovative here. It's really no. just buzzwords and um, it actually probably be more inefficient than the system we, like, ironically, because blockchains are incredibly inefficient databases. So it, it, they might actually make a worse system than the one that we already have, which is not good, which is mind blowing to me. They'll go back and and create the challenges that certificate authorities have. That's effectively what a notary is, a certificate authority, which the whole internet operates off of. And they've had plenty of challenges through the years because one entity 
has to receive and verify every certificate. Which sounds great for the biz, you know, yeah. if they are that one, you know, everything flows through them. That sounds like a wonderful Attach a fee to it, uh, which yeah. is exactly what you, before you put a website on, what do you have to do? Pay a cert fee. Exactly uh, what, <laughs> what they want. That's exactly, you know, so I just thought, you know, those, hilarious like it's actually cracked me up because it literally talked about the exact problem that satoshi's invention solved which is Mm -hmm. the you know byzantine general problem or the double spend problem Mm -hmm. and it's like they're just wrapping their heads around this in 2022 and when they're trying to design a new system basically their own bitcoin uh they were just realizing that, like, how do we actually solve this? It's like, you can just read the white paper. Yeah, it's done. You know, we did it, did it 13 years ago. And, like, you guys are just catching up. Like, oh, we yeah. can help you get on Twitter. We can, yeah. You know, how about you, you know? just do a pull request and, uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and commit and uh, see if see if the devs uh, take it and you can help out? Uh, yeah, to change the code. <laughs> yeah, that's the, circu- the circular reference of the paper is what cracks me up. The, the just continuous circle and and i do agree with you those are phenomenal points there it is almost like maybe five or six years ago when the chatter started getting real and it wasn't just a bunch of funny nerds in their mom's basement you know printing money um somebody in in the the biz lab pulled the code and went through it line by line and they're just like okay we can do this let's just copy paste and you know put cbdc on top of it so it's it's yeah i mean they're just struggling because i think um obviously like the idea of decentralization a decentralized system where where it's like their entire existence i mean this is what bitcoin was supposed to do is uh Mm -hmm. you know disintermediate the financial system and you know basically commercial banks um and these are like the central banks serving the, the other central banks but they're basically act like a large commercial bank in a way and then they do facilitate these uh, mm-hmm. large movements like the biz and this just destroys them i mean it just takes if there's one one entity that really gets disrupted from lightning and bitcoin it's the bank of international settlements yeah and so it's not this isn't this shouldn't be surprising that they want to create a system where you know, they're still in control because, I mean, they're just human. They're just a business that's trying to change mm-hmm. with the times. And it's, uh, they're just finding out that just like everything gets disrupted with technology, the one sector that hasn't is is finance. And I think it's really just from a regulatory moat standpoint, as yeah. well as, um, you know, like the walls, the walled gardens that I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. the expensiveness to, to disrupt them. And they're they're realizing i think they're realizing the threat now and um, i yeah. say it often that you know there were three dinosaurs coming into you know post 2008 it was education banking and law and mm-hmm. and they yeah. still operate off principles that we set this country up on um which doesn't yeah. make any sense 1776 money came in the 1860s and like you know we're approaching 250 300 years you know and and it just doesn't work that well. And it doesn't, yeah, that's a, that's not another thing too. It's like, there's no it wrong, with, there's nothing wrong with changing. There's nothing wrong with changing when the system that we currently have, I mean, uh, let's just take like wealth inequality, for instance, it's, it's not working for the majority of people today. It's, it's really, you can't really argue that. And then the other thing is financial inclusion. 
it's not working for people around the globe. And I think, uh, you know, you can be critical of El Salvador and how the Bitcoin adoption has come. For me, I, I'm not as critical because I think they're just the first one. They're the, they're the guinea pig. And there's going to be a lot of struggles as you try to implement a new financial monetary system or technology that nobody's ever implemented before. So I, I'm not as critical about what's going on there. Um, I, I actually really support what they're doing. But the one thing that you cannot argue is the uh, financial inclusion that's come from this, where you had, you know, I think it was 20% that were banked before they adopted Bitcoin. And then that number jumped to 60% in three mm. months. And so that's in three months, Bitcoin banked more people in El Salvador than what the biz and the IMF and these other international financial institutions did in the last 30 years. Right. And that should just wake you up in terms of the power of the open and permissionless nature of these technologies. And um, they can try to fight it and they'll try to push this, you know, CBD system down everyone's throats. But I think more and more people will just understand the value of Bitcoin uh, over time. And, and great point there. I mean, if there's something you want to get woke about today, given how much that noise is going on, that's something to hop on. Is if, if you go from 20% to 60%, having months. more yeah. access to financial means in months, like that's that's a positive change. I mean, it is. Yeah. don't get me wrong, there's be hurdles and bad things that happen because of it, but that's an arrow moving in the right direction. Yeah. And like quickly, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I, I think, I think power, they've been in power a long time. They're very, very good at maintaining power. You know, mm -hmm. you don't, you don't, uh, you know, originate from 1930 and, and maintain your power for almost a hundred years by not being you know, smart and right. And, and really good at working the system and maintaining your power. And so I think this is, I think this is the battlefront. I think these are the people that are, are disrupted the most from Bitcoin and they're going to be the ones that are, are going to try to do something different. And I would argue it's going to be much, much worse of a system. Yeah. And, and so, I, you know, that's kind of why I focus a lot on these people and just try to raise awareness, you know, do what I can. Um, to kind of highlight why I think their plans are are not good, they're just not well designed, and um, they could. There's a lot of externalities that could come from them, negative externalities in terms of privacy and um, you know just censorship and and things of that nature. Yeah, and I'll agree, and we can kind of wrap it up there. That's a, that's a good point. I mean, um, yeah, we could always go down the scalability trilemma, which is like Triffin's dilemma, and I do think there's truth to that. In fairness, they wrote a little bit about it, um, but I think uh you know private individuals with the ability to work around and, and fail through that is better than an entity um saying well this is how it's going to go because it's always gone this way um yeah but you know to your point a lot in this in this space in the in the broader crypto ecosystem um the argument and the bickering is that Bitcoin's better than Ethereum or Bitcoin's better than, uh, you know, name your coin. And I think now that we've matured, people need to realize that it's, it's these entities that, that Bitcoin is fighting, not these other coins. Yeah, man, a hundred percent. Because 
like I said, they're, they've admitted they're not even trying to, to be money. And I think even a lot of these altcoin founders, they hold Bitcoin and they understand that like it's security and it's immutability. It's collateral. Yeah, it's collateral. It's money. It's, it's, it's the only thing you can trust that hasn't been hacked and hasn't changed since day one. And, mm-hmm. and um, it's, it's always been about central banks. I think people in, the, in my industry are getting distracted um, and they can't yeah. really tell friend from foe see that right. a lot with some of the infighting that we've seen from um, I won't name names, but like very yeah. good Bitcoin proponents uh, just starting to cancel each other. I'm like, dude, this isn't the enemy. Like, yeah. What are you guys doing? Like, why well, are we talking about this biz paper more? Like these central bankers and whose currencies are currently in like falling. And like, we're actually witnessing a lot, like a lot of trouble in central bank land. And it seems like low hanging fruit for, for Bitcoin people and, and uh, exactly. sound money people to really speak up and, and talk about the issues. That's a, I mean, we could talk for another 30 minutes. We won't do it. That's a great <laughs> point because in 2017 with, with the fork wars, I'm sitting here as just an innocent bystander and saying, guys, you know, you're, you are literally fighting each other. People that agree with each other six months ago are fighting each other over who gets to name or who gets to own the name Bitcoin. What is decentralized about that? Um, and that was the crux of the battle. It was just who gets to own the brand. And so here we are in 2022. And it seems like in the last six or eight months, and maybe that's just what bear markets bring. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's actually, yeah, it's like a little bottom, bottom signal for uh, if you believe in behavioral economics. But it's like, Everyone has nothing to do, bored with the sideways price action. Yeah. So they're just like, all right, let's get let's your eye back bit. on the ball and realize the person you should be raising awareness against is not um, Ethereum or some other dev or some other influencer in the space. It's it's these entities that look, rules and regs are gonna come and they are needed to an extent, but we don't want these guys to hijack the systems, the way that they've hijacked the words in this paper. Couldn't send any other man. Just uh, keep your eyes on the people that are the greatest threats to freedom today. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's why I'm in this is for human rights reasons. And, um, you know, to me, Bitcoin is a very fair monetary system, very open, transparent, uh, inclusive. And uh, that's why I work in this industry. So, um, yeah, this has been an awesome conversation, by the way. I've yeah. uh, really enjoyed talking. Man. Yeah, I've enjoyed it as well. Uh, Sam, I appreciate you coming on. And why don't you tell uh, listeners where they can find you at? Um, I know you've done a lot of research on this front. So just a lot of good stuff you could probably share if you let let listeners know where they can find you. Yeah, uh, so I work at Swan Bitcoin. We're an uh, international Bitcoin brokerage. And so you are a business or high net worth individual or just a regular uh, person who wants to get access to Bitcoin, uh, check us out at swan.com. And uh, we do a lot of education. So there's, uh, I, I post on our blog there. So you can go to swan.com and check out our blog for some of my work. And then I spend a lot of time on Twitter. So I'm at Sam Kalla, S-A-N-C-A-L-L-A-H. And uh, you can find me there. I'm always posting charts and, and posting my thoughts around this stuff. So uh, yeah, check it out. All right, perfect. Thank you.